Philippians chapter 4, we're finishing this book that we've been going through together, a book written by Paul to a church that he started, and after about a 10-year relationship. And so kind of revolving in this book has been this idea of partnership together around what Jesus is doing, a genuine care and love for each other. It's a long-term healthy relationship. It's why you'll have trouble outlining the book of Philippians, because it's a little bit like a phone call or a letter to someone that you love. It does a bit of wandering and a bit of circling, and uh, that includes the end, right? Because chapter 3 started with this, uh, finally, and if you look at your Bibles, you're about halfway through the book. And then if you look in chapter 4 at verse 8, we get another finally. So Paul is trying to wrap it up, um, but he loves these people and has some things he wants to encourage them with. Uh, so final thoughts. Here we are at final thoughts, and Paul uh, wants to um, just go through some things real quickly as he wraps up the letter. So I feel like these sort of illustrations I've been looking at a lot recently, one, two, three, four, five, six. By the way, if you're a parent of a toddler and you can't count, that is your own fault, right? Every book I pick up is like one of these, two of these, three of these, four of these, five of these, six of these. Let's read it again. Um, so there's a little <laughs> dad moment right there. But he has some quick closing instructions. Uh, and we won't read this whole section, uh, but I wonder if you could just glance through and see if you can pick up any of the commands. So you're looking for commands, and there are six of them. A couple of them are kind of combined at the end, but uh, see if you can pick any of them up. I've given you the verses on the side as a key. What are Paul's closing instructions to these people? Stand firm in the Lord. That's the first one. Why is he reminding them to stand firm in the Lord? Boy, do we need that reminder. All time. Hang in there. Stand firm. Hang in there. Right? What else? Yeah. Agree with one another. Live in harmony. And he actually calls out two specific people who are not living in harmony. My pastor growing up used to say that these, their names are Yodia and Syntyche. He used to call them Odorous and Stinky. Um, those two just not getting along. And, and uh, you got it, Michelle? She was like, yeah, you're in three. Yeah, that's all right. No, that's good. Glad you figured it out before we were done, and you're like, I don't know where those guys are getting that. Live in harmony. Agree with one another. What else? Be joyful. And that one's so important, he says it twice, right? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We have reason for joy. No one should come into Gospel Hope Church to a bunch of depressed people. You have Jesus. I have Jesus. My eternity is certain. Is my boat ever in a storm? Oh, yeah. But Jesus is in it. He's not going anywhere. Right? There's reason for joy. Doesn't mean we have to be like sugar hopped up happy all the time either. There is genuine sorrow and grief. But people should sense a spirit of joy. By the way, that will in part draw them to Jesus. Because that is so elusive without him. What else? Rejoice in the Lord. Good. Verse 4. So we got stand firm, we got agree with one another, we have rejoice. Good, we're just working our way right down. Right in order, I like that. What? Yeah, pray for one another. And what is, when are we specifically supposed to pray in these verses? When we are tempted to do what? Worry, right? When you're tempted to worry, pray. Good. That's the fifth one, so we jumped out of order a little bit, that's good. What else? Be reasonable with whom, Gina? everyone. Just be reasonable. There is a lot of unreasonableness going on, isn't there? On all sides? 
There's a lot of crazy going on. Be reasonable. Easy to get along with. Patient, kind, reasonable. What else? One more. It's kind of two tied together, verse 8. Yeah. Think about the right things, and then what's the, the command that goes right next to it? These two go right together in verse 8. Think about the right things. Oh, in verse 9, sorry. And do the right things, right? Interesting, these six commands, why do you think Paul ends with these? By the way, it's interesting, each of them is connected to a phrase, in the Lord, in the Lord, the Lord is at hand, God will give you peace, right? These are not things in isolation from our relationship with God. They're actually deeply tied into it. But why do you think he ends with these six things? They're pretty timeless, aren't they? Pretty universal. Sometimes we go like digging for really deep, complicated. You know what God wants us to do? Love him, love each other, live in harmony and peace. Stand firm, don't bail out. Be reasonable, don't worry, okay? I want us to focus on verses 10 through 20 with the rest of our time because Paul transitions to a thank you. And let's read these verses together. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low, and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. By the way, that's the context of that verse. What is is the all things in that verse? What's Paul really talking about doing? Living with contentment. Christ enables me to live with contentment with much or little. Okay? It's not that you can't do all things through Christ, and but man, we love that verse. We make it apply to all kinds of stuff. Don't forget the context. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. And you Philippians yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. Nobody would have let him go on to the mission field, huh, Marty? Yeah, one supporting church. <laughs> That's right. He never would, have, never would have made it. Even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Another one that we love outside of context, huh? To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The story this morning that we looked at in Mark chapter 4 was powerful because Jesus has just been talking about how powerful his word is, and then he gives us a picture. And many of us are better picture learners than reading learners. Is that true? Show me a picture, make it visual, that will really help me. 
You have that in your class, don't you, Cheryl? Kindergartners? Some of them are better with, yeah, right? See, teacher speak. It's good, right? Different types of learning. And, and actually what we have here is a picture of giving and how it works. Now, I want to make one clarification here. It, it can be easy for us to group giving just into one big category, but there are actually two categories of giving. There, there's giving to God as a part of our worship that ought to be happening in all our lives regardless of where we're at. God, we give to God. It, it, from the beginning of time, right? We go back to Cain and Abel. That's been part of what it means to worship God. Jesus highlighted it in the widow's might. That it's not about how much you give. It's about giving to me with what you have, right? And it's, a, it's something just like singing or praying or listening and responding to the word that all of us ought to be doing as an act of worship to God. There is also giving to meet the needs of others. And, and sometimes we kind of muddle it all together. There actually ought to be a distinction. Because what's happening here is a church giving to help meet Paul's needs. This could happen in the case of somebody who had um, poverty needs or an unexpected life expense need. This is them giving to other things outside of just giving to God directly. Now, there's a connection to God in all our giving, but there's kind of two big categories of giving. Sometimes we can excuse ourselves from giving to God if we're giving to meet a need. But actually, giving to God is step one. And then we also have opportunity to give to help meet the needs of others. So this is an example of them, the church partnering with Paul in giving. But what can we learn as we look at this picture? Nine quick lessons on giving. You say, nine? It took you 40 minutes to get through three this morning. We'll be done by 11.30. I promised that to myself, to the teachers that are back there working. Here are nine quick lessons on giving. Look at verse 10. I, Paul says rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. When we give to help others, it actually helps them to rejoice in the Lord. Have you experienced that? When someone's given to meet your needs, that it makes you thankful to God? It's a pretty neat piece of giving that as we give, it brings other people joy in the Lord. Great reason to give. Secondly, and I thought this one was really helpful to me. Look what he says. You have revived your concern for me. It's funny that they've had this long relationship and he's like, and you finally care for me again. But then look what he says. I mean, you were indeed concerned for me. See this relationship? Isn't this a, this is a love relationship? You ever say things to people you love and then go, whoa, whoa that's, a, that's not exactly what I meant. Let me back. You indeed were concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. This is interesting when we think about giving. When we think about giving to help others, whether it's in a work of missions or whether it's in a personal time of need, there are two things you should be looking for. A genuine concern in your heart for them and the opportunity to give. Does that make sense? Have you ever, have you ever had a missionary come through or heard about a situation and if you were honest in your heart, it didn't really resonate with you. Does that ever happen to you? It's not bad. It just means that that thing didn't resonate, connect with you. That's concern. Now, we ought to be developing a heart of concern and care, right? I'm not saying we shouldn't care. 
But haven't you had the other thing happen to you too, where you heard about a need that someone had and it just rung a bell with you and it connected with you and, and you went home that night and you were thinking about it and you woke up the next morning and you were thinking about it? That's concern. This church had that relationship with Paul. But then they needed a second thing, opportunity. So if, if a missionary comes through, you know, in a month and they're going somewhere uh, and I, it just, that just rings a bell for me and I have all this concern and I go to Colleen and I say, hey, I just have all this concern. I think that we should give $500 a month to help these people. Okay, I'll be honest with you. I don't have that opportunity right now. And you may not either, right? That's why Ephesians 4 says, let him that stole steal no more, but rather let him labor, working with his hands, so that he may have to give to him that needs. So the idea is work so you can have resources to give. So you have to have the opportunity and the concern. Does that help? So when you're thinking about yourself, should I give to this? Does that ring a bell with you? Is it something where the Holy Spirit is like, yes, this is a place for you? And has God given you the opportunity? Now be generous, right? Don't think, okay, when I have $500 put in retirement and 1000 to do this, and like when I have this long list of my life perfectly cared for, then I'll give. Don't go that way. But you want to see both those things, concern and opportunity. It's helpful. Third thing, look at this. Money or giving alone doesn't bring contentment. Verse 11, Paul says, Not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know to be brought low, I know to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. You say, man, if someone would just give to meet this desperate need that I have, it would all be better. Money will not solve the problems of our souls. You can't buy someone's happiness. You can't cause them to be content just through giving and receiving. Neither can you be content just through giving and receiving. It's important. What else, does Paul, what else do we learn about giving? Giving is kind. After Paul talks about contentment, look at verse 14. Yet it was kind of you to share my trouble. Sometimes we make the Christian life really complicated. Do you know if you boil it down what God wants from each and every one of us as we follow him? Loving God and loving others. But I love the illustration of the two servants. One who used the talents God had given him wisely and one who didn't. Or two who did and one who didn't. Because God boils it down. He wants us to be good and faithful, not wicked and lazy. And test your life by that. As I follow God, am I pursuing what he wants me to do faithfully, or am I pursuing my own way lazily, <laughs> right? This was kind. Giving is kind. We should do it because it's kind. What else? Christians should give regardless of what others are doing. Even in Thessalonica, verse 16, or I'm sorry, verse 15. You yourselves know that in the beginning when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except for you only. You say, well, I don't really know what other people are doing. Who cares? Jesus said to Peter, what does that have to do with you? Well, I, I mean, I kind of watch when we take the benevolence offering after communion, and I mean, there's not a lot of people giving there, so maybe I, maybe I won't. You should. You shouldn't do it because of what other people are doing. Your amount shouldn't be dictated by what other people are doing. You should give. 
to help others regardless of what you see around you. And, and I hope, right, that God will develop in us this culture of giving and receiving. It was really cool this week. Um, Colleen and I got contacted at the beginning of the week about a family in our community group that was going through some rough times. And we kind of knew it, but then it kind of escalated. Um, and so they reached out to us, and I asked what we could do. And the husband said that it would be helpful if somebody brought a meal. So I thought, oh, that's great. We can do that, and uh, we can let our community group know. And so Colleen actually reached out to the wife about bringing a meal on Monday. And the wife got back and said, oh, actually, someone in the group already reached out to me and is already bringing a meal today. Now, there had been no communication. It wasn't like I had sent it out to our community group and somebody had jumped on it. This was unbeknownst to anything that I had planned. So it was cool to watch that happen. And then I think we took Tuesday night, I think. And so we were able to provide two meals. But you should jump in and give regardless of what other people are doing, as God blesses you. Four more in five minutes. We're right on track. And I couldn't figure out how to get my numbering to start at six. Google Slides doesn't like that. <laughs> so as a numbers guy, this really bothers me, but just think six, seven, eight, nine, okay? I was prepping two times. I wasn't going crazy with that. Christians should give again and again and again and again. Look at this. Even in Thessalonica, Paul says, you sent me help for my needs once and again. There's this cool thing that happens if you trust God and give to help others. He keeps providing opportunities for you. And he keeps providing resources for you. So give and give and give again. Isn't that how God gives to you? Isn't that how God meets your needs? Again and again and again and again. So that's how this church was giving. But then Paul brings us back. It's kind of interesting in both these sections about what it's not about, right? So it's not about contentment, but it's also not just about the gift itself. It's not just about the money. Verse 17, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. This is a cool thought, isn't it? I mean, this applies specifically as we give to missions, but I don't think it has to be limited there. As you give to help others and God works through their lives, you're actually investing in a way. I love the verse in Proverbs that says, whoever gives to the poor lends to the Lord. You can't lend to a better place. You can't trust your money in any better place. Then as you give to others, God produces fruit for you. Now that ought not to be your sole motive in giving, but it's pretty cool. It has eternal results. I remember having an opportunity to give to a friend in college. And as I'm reading this verse and thinking about this text, I wonder if as God worked in his life that next semester of school, there's some fruit for me in that. I don't know. God, God takes care of all that. I'm not worried about that. But it's not just money. It's not just an exchange of money. It's a lot bigger than that. What else? Christians give because God is the perfect giver. I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received all these gifts from you. And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. As we give, we reflect God, and God always gives to take care of his people. There is a connection here that as we are giving, we can count on God to care for us. 
I don't think it's a zero-sum equation, right? I gave 500 bucks, so God will give me 500 bucks, or I gave 20 bucks, so God will give me $20,000. It's not like that, right? But remember how Danny talked to us last week about that measure thing with the measure you give? Those things tie together, this idea of giving. Last thing, and I thought this was neat. Verse 20 ends with this just kind of spontaneous praise from Paul. To our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. The God who supplies our needs, the God who gives us concern to give. Christian giving and receiving brings glory to God. You know, sometimes that idea of how do I bring glory to God seems like this really big, undefinable idea. We know that we bring glory to God as we worship. We know that we bring glory to God as we obey Him. But this is great. We bring glory to God as we give to meet the needs of one another. You say, I want my life to, to bring glory to God. Here's a way. Just like God so kindly and generously gives to you, give to help others. So there's a quick picture of giving and some principles. We probably could pull a few more out, but I knew uh, nine was already stretching it. So um, there's just some principles on Christian giving that I hope you can take with you. So uh, that's Philippians. In the famous words of some Looney Tunes character, that's all folks. But I can tell you that here at Gospel Hope Church, we are thankful for the partners that God has brought together right, from the miracle of um, Will Galkin up at Gospel Grace talking to Pastor Lloyd to the leadership that God had already brought here to new leadership to new families to there's a, there's a sweetness in that partnership. And that's after 10 months or, you know, maybe 18 months since this all kind of, but we hope that that only grows. That, by the way, that's one of the reasons Danny travels right now. Um, God has brought gospel partners into their lives. And so partners that support them and support the Inafukus right now but we're actually praying that those gospel partners stay really connected to us for a long time. Like at the point when Gospel Hope Church can support the Brooks and support the Anafukus or support another family or support our family, we're, we're not, we're, our hope is not that that stuff falls off a cliff. Our hope is actually that God is building some partners for the long term and that they can give and we can receive and we can give and they can receive. And we can build this special partnership together that's about way more than just one person or one place. Right, because who was benefiting from the Philippians giving to Paul? The Philippians were. Paul was. The people that traveled with Paul were. The churches Paul was planting were benefit. Like there was all this spread out effect. What's well, a beautiful thing? So we're thankful for those gospel partnerships. We're praying for them, and we want to continue to develop them. And thankful, most of all. And uh, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Lord, thank you for your word and how it guides us and instructs us. Lord, help us not just to blow through those reminders about agreeing and being reasonable and standing firm and doing what's right, thinking what's right, not worrying but praying. Those are all timeless and valuable. And we pray that you would develop a giving heart like your heart here at Gospel Hope, that we would give in faith to you as a part of our worship each week, but that our giving would extend far beyond that to your work around the world, to our neighbors in need, to situations that arise and we have both concern and opportunity. Or would you just build in us a heart that gives generously as you do? In Christ's name we pray. Amen.